Hello and welcome to Statistically Interesting, the podcast where we interview analysts and data scientists to find out about the fascinating work that they do and how they got to where they are today. I'm your host, Jake Stein. I'm co-founder of RJ Metrics. You can find out more about me and find out about new episodes by following me on Twitter, at Jake Stein. All right. Today on the podcast, we've got Jason Maynard, Director of Data and Analytics at Zendesk. Jason tells us how to channel the tiger, what data science looks like at Zendesk, and how Jason's career advanced from counting things to telling people what to count to figuring out what to count next. And here's our conversation. Hi, everybody. My name is Jake Stein. Welcome to Statistically Interesting. Uh, Very excited today to be joined by an incredibly interesting guest. Uh, Guest, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Hey, Jake. Uh, I'm Jason Maynard. Uh, I'm the Director of Data and Analytics at Zendesk. Uh, Zendesk is a customer service uh, platform um, that you know is, is sold to people all around the world. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again for for joining. Um, I'm super familiar with Zendesk. We're Zendesk customers here at RJ Metrics, uh, and I think it's you know within the tech industry, it's really well known uh, and a very successful company. Uh, I'm curious when you're talking to folks that are maybe in your family or, or friends of yours who just aren't in our industry and aren't familiar with Zendesk and maybe aren't familiar with the sorts of things you do. How how do you explain to them what it is your job is? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it's a it's a long running joke at Zendesk that no one really wants to go home to their mom and tell them they work on customer service software. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> luckily, we have you know a bunch of brilliant minds in our creative team that. Um, you know, think about interesting ways to talk about it. You know, we, we just started this kind of uh, relate conference um, where you know, we talk about customer service, but we just talk about how you know relationships are complicated. Um, you know, whether it be relationships between people, relationships between businesses and consumers. Um, you know, there's there's lots of complication out there, um, and I guess specifically, you know. How I describe what I do is, you know, data is off, often complicated, and you know, I think you know the goal of myself and the team is is really to to demystify data for you know people at Zendesk and and our customers as well. Yeah, and I, I think I think even if people don't know about Zendesk or don't know about software in general, they care about customer support uh, because they've either had a terrible experience with their cable company or a great experience with some other company. So you've uh, I think you have something that people will at least like know know about it and have an opinion on it. Um, yeah, it, it, you you get a mix of the other the other common uh, misconception is that Zendesk is just a big customer service company, oh. um, and and we are the person on the end of all those calls that you know go woefully wrong, um, and so I guess just clearing that up usually usually helps too. <laughs> And and so are people blaming you for not being able to get a refund on their cell phone bill? Yeah, we we have something called misfires at Zendesk. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's you know some of the the things that we send out you know are, are branded with powered by Zendesk or whatever it is. And you know some of our customers um, our customers customers mistakenly think that Zendesk is the company providing the support. Mm-hmm. And so our support team often gets you know these really hilarious um, you know misfire tickets where. You know, someone from a game is requesting a, a refund on their gold coins, or um, complaining that someone stole their sheep in game. <laughs> uh, so it's a never-ending uh, source of of, uh, of funny responses from customers. 
Yeah, I, I have a, my personal email address is a super generic version of a very uh, common name. Uh, and so I, I have my own little mini version of that where I, I really enjoy getting... Uh, my, my favorite one was I got a, a disciplinary email from a college RA uh, saying that, you know, I was in, in uh, I was I was about to get kicked out of the dorm. Uh, and this is two years ago and I haven't been in college for over over uh, 15 years. I'm sorry, for 10 years. But uh, I had a nice little back and forth with them when I told them that they're not the boss of me. Yeah, um, awesome. <laughs> um, uh, so that, that question about, you know, how do you explain to other people? That's one of my like stock questions that I try to ask everybody. But when I was going over your, your LinkedIn profile, I thought you had a really great way of explaining the different data and analytics roles you've had at Zendesk where you yeah. were. Uh, did you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can, you can tell I'm not actively looking for a job because my, <laughs> my LinkedIn profile is just one big joke. But yeah, I think that I, I guess it probably makes sense to talk a little bit about you know just my progression here at Zendesk. But you know, I started here as a as a, a product data analyst at Zendesk, and I kind of came on board as you know one of the first people who really started digging digging into a lot of this interesting data that we collect on the platform, and and so then kind of moved up, became a product manager, um, you know, became kind of as we started the data data team, you know, became more of like an engineering manager for. Um, you know the, the team in its infancy, um, and now kind of you know think about you know a lot of the different data things that Zendesk does, including <coughs> BIM and machine learning and a lot of our internal product analytics initiatives. Um, and so I think I, I have to remember exactly, but I think I described it as you know when I started, I just counted things, uh, and then and then I moved on to figuring out what to count, uh, managing people who built things that counted things. Um, and now, you know, I, I, I'm just management overhead and, and think about, you know, what, what we're going to count, count next. So, Yeah, the, uh, the exact progression is uh, when you were a consultant at Deloitte, it was tell people what to count, then leave, uh, <laughs> which is a fantastic description of what a consultant does. Uh, and then uh, first you counted things, then you built things that counted things, then you managed people who built things that counted things, and now you're figuring out what to count next. Uh, which is awesome, and it's actually like a really succinct uh, way to describe what I think is what I imagine a, a pretty common career trajectory in in data and analytics. Uh, so, well, uh, even though it is a joke, I think it's very well done. Thanks. Uh, did you um, uh, when you were at Deloitte? Like, how did you make the decision to jump from consulting to a, a product company? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I. Yeah, I think that I I got a little bit tired of counting things and then leaving. Um, <laughs> you know, I think like many consultants, you 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 get to a point where you want to sink your teeth in a bit longer, um, you know, and build something that you can really invest in longer term. Um, so I th- I think that was it was kind of you know, one of the underlying desires. But I think the other thing was just you know um, at that point I had met with uh, our our then VP of product Sam Boone and. Um, you know, and, and we had just sat down, grabbed coffee, and you know, we just started talking about Zendesk. And you know, I think the thing that really drew me here was um, just this kind of wealth of data that that they were sitting on. You know, as an early SaaS company, you know, hosting a lot of this data, you know, trying to understand you know what we can do, it, how how we what we can do with it, how we can build products with it, how we can make better decisions um, as a business using. 
all of this telemetrics that we have, um, you know, on the platform, you know, was was really really exciting, um, and still is exciting today. So I think you know, it was a combination of you know wanting to dig my teeth in and then finding you know just this this really great opportunity to to join Zendesk and and work on these problems. Yeah, and so that was it was four years ago that you joined Zendesk. Is that right? Yep, about four years ago. And so what uh, when you had that that first conversation with Sam was. Was there a data team? Were you the first person on it, or were you joining something that was already somewhat formed? Yeah, so I, I think there was about we had when I started. I was definitely the first um, kind of product data analyst that that Zendesk had hired. Um, you know, we had a couple other analysts that were working on more the finance side, um, but to start, it was pretty much me. And then I got about you know ten percent of the time of you know one of our infrastructure engineers. Um, to kind of go out and start collecting some some you know product analytics that I could start digging into, um, and so it was it was very much in the infancy of um, how Zenda started thinking about how to use product data, um, you know, and and since then you know the team's obviously grown a lot, um, and we've brought on many many more people who who are better at digging into the data than I am. Um, yeah, which is which is super exciting to kind of see the team grow. But you know, from that point, kind of, you know, I'll say one point one people looking at product data uh, to you know, I think thirty plus people now across you know five different Scrum teams at Zendesk. Um, super exciting to kind of see how data has just become a much bigger part of what Zendesk thinks about and how we um, you know how we offer tools and uh, services and um, different things to our customers yeah that's amazing and if, if i do the math right i think that's almost 30x growth uh which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah pretty uh, close yeah pretty close uh <laughs> i know i might need uh, some help to get the exact number but um yeah. we have what, a team now that can that's that can true you can you, that can be one of the projects uh the uh that team that 30 person team right now uh how how are they split up i know you mentioned they're they're in different scrum teams are they um, how how do you break that down? Yeah, so so the data organization at Zendesk is actually pretty interesting. We um, we all kind of sit within one umbrella under data, but uh, the team split between um, we have kind of a, a core team in San Francisco that handles um, most of our data infrastructure. Uh, another team there that also is just completely dedicated to you know serving internal customers for product analytics. Um, which I think is is pretty unique. Um, you know, I think it's it's often difficult to prioritize um, kind of internal product analytics uh, against you know building product for customers. Um, and so splitting that team out into a into a separate team that thinks about you know just our internal customers and how we use product data internally to make better decisions. You know, I think that was a big a big step for us. Um, uh, the other teams are now also you know, back in October. Um, we uh, finished up the acquisition of of Bime Analytics, um, so we now have uh, this amazing Montpellier, France, which is where I am right now. Um, and they're kind of working on um, the Bime product uh, and the front end and how to make analytics really accessible to uh, both Zendesk customers and and other customers today. Um, and then we have this. Kind of great split team in Melbourne, Australia, um, that works on our data products. So uh, that team is is kind of responsible for everything 
machine learning, recommendation, prediction um, that we actually build into the product. So thinking about how we take you know, all this data that we're collecting and actually build intelligence back into the features we're working on. Hmm. And so like uh, we, I don't remember what frequency, maybe it's once a week or once a month, we get an email from Zendesk saying, this is where we rank amongst you know, all the different uh, similarly sized companies in terms of response time and customer satisfaction. Does that come out of that team in, in Melbourne? Yeah, it does actually. So um, all of our benchmarking research, um, so you, know, you receive you know, the, the email every month that has, tells you where you rank in terms of your industry uh, and some of your stats, but we also um, publish some benchmarking research um, on, our, on our website and our blog, you know, where that team's really just digging into you know, interesting trends we're seeing in, in different industries. Um, they've done some really great research on operational benchmarking, uh, which, which actually you know, takes traditional benchmarking by industry a step further. And we, we look at you know, the operational patterns of each uh, Zendesk customer, and then we actually categorize you into you know, a certain type of support operation. Um, and then we can do benchmarking by that. And that often provides you know, a much more relevant benchmark uh, than, than something like industry or company size. You know, in an era where you know, many of the Zendesk implementations are, are more departmental in nature, so you have a, a customer service team, an HR team, um, using Zendesk, but you know they may be in the same uh, industry, but they have very different you know operational traits, um, and we can actually provide much more relevant benchmarking to those cu- customers um, by doing some of that segmentation and clustering um, based on operational type. Huh. And so I'm just uh, I had never thought of the use case for an HR team to use Zendesk. Is that just like at a large company, the employees? Submit ticket, submit requests to HR via Zendesk. Yeah, so um, we actually have quite a few internal teams that, that use Zendesk. Um, you know, HR, for example, uh, will use it to kind of uh, uh, you know uh, talk to the employees within within the company. Um, use it as a platform to kind of have joint conversations across the team with employees, uh, and then also use something like our Help Center product. Uh, to kind of manage all the HR documentation that's available internally, um, manage security on that, uh, and things like that. Very cool. Interesting. It makes a ton of sense now I think about it. Um, and you talked about these teams, and I, I may have missed it when you said before, but is like data, data infrastructure and data plumbing, that's a separate one of those teams, or is that embedded in those different Scrum teams, or is that totally separate from your group? Yeah, so um, all the... Plumbing. I think that you know we, it's each team does a little bit of plumbing, but the you know the the kind of core infrastructure team um, is in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, and, the, and they're the ones that are really kind of uh, you know pushing the envelope on on how we think about collecting data, processing data, um, and getting it to the different places we need um, either for analytics or for machine learning. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Uh, and was that? And do they do they roll up into the the same group that infrastructure and those teams that are like building data products, or are they is like that infrastructure team just part of your general engineering team? Yeah, so it's it it rolls up into the same group. It's it's kind of a team that's specifically thinking about uh, infra uh, to support su- to support data and analytics. Um, that that team you know for for analytics you know supports not only. You know other data teams, but you know they're really the interface to all of the feature development teams at Zendesk mm-hmm. on thinking about how to 
collect the data and the exhaust from you know the features that we're we're building over time, get that into one place and and provide that in some you know provide uh, you know tooling and and product in some meaningful way both to internal teams and to our customers. Got it. And, and I think I've seen in, in these conversations I've been having and, and just other companies I've read about. It seems like there's there's two main models for how to structure a data analytics team. One is where it seems like you guys have where the teams are, are pretty much self-contained. Obviously, they interface with lots of other teams within the company. Um, but the other is where you know you might have an analyst and or a data engineer embedded with uh, you know a team that's working on a specific product or some other functional group. Uh, did it did, you know the the structure that you have that just kind of evolved? Or the, was that a very deliberate choice? Like how did how did you decide on this structure? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Specifically for um, product analytics, you know, it's it's a pretty deliberate pattern. So the data team, um, in terms of internal product analytics, is really responsible for um, corralling, collecting, uh, and maintaining the data that other uh, teams can access. Um, so that's a centralized team that sits within the, the data organization. Um, but then the, the actual analysts um, that access that data you know, are spread between every other team in Zendesk. So uh, our marketing teams have analysts. Um, we have you know, dedicated product analysts. We have sales analysts, financial analysts. Um, and all of those teams at some point um, need access to product data. You know, and we run you know, a pretty lean uh, shop within data, you know, and the the team in San Francisco is really responsible for, you know, providing the data in a very providing the data and tools in a way that it's accessible and easy to use, and then giving training to all those teams on how they can access that data. So they're really kind of a, a central knowledge repository for you know the expertise on how to collect the data and um, how to access that data, and then you know the the analyst teams are kind of distributed within. Um, other teams at Zendesk, um, and that's that's got you know some some really great benefits. You know, I think it means that you know the analysts working at Zendesk are, are really those problems that the teams that they're working with are trying to solve. Um, but it does come with some drawbacks around you know not not having kind of one um, set of practices or one way to look at the data um, because you know all those analysts aren't sitting together. Um, and we, we've tried to combat that in a few ways. You know, we, we run um, something called Data Week, um, you, know, you know, probably about once a year uh, where all the analysts get together. You know, we do kind of training and joint sessions, really kind of getting everyone's proficiency, sharing uh, up, sharing best practices and things like that. So that's kind of how we're organized internally um, to both kind of collect data for uh, internal analytics and then kind of spread it without the organization. Hmm. And you hit on something which I know is a challenge for a lot of companies, just making sure that or dealing with the fact that people are not uh, you know, using the same definition to look at metrics. Uh, and there's, there's potentially good reasons to look uh, to use different definitions for different use cases or, or certainly different metrics. But, but how do you, um, I guess, enforce uh, either common data models or uh, specific ways of, you know, so when you talk about a uh, dollar revenue or an active user or things like that, how do you make sure those are consistent across the organization? Yeah, so I think that, that there definitely are times when those definitions um, can diverge and um, there's many times where that's that's not particularly important. Um, you know, you can make a lot of 
uh, optimized uh, local decisions based off of metrics that are slightly different or even you know yeah, with some tolerance inaccurate. Um, but you know when it's really critical that those definitions are are the same um, when we're looking at kind of problems that go across groups or you know high level metrics for the company. Um, you know we've we've done a few things. You know I think that you know we're we're starting to come up with you know the metrics. Um, across every bit of our business that we want to track, you know, that we track at a management level, at a board level, um, you know, and those metrics we feel like you know, are the ones where it's really important that we get a very um, succinct and crisp definition that everyone understands. Got it. And then uh, that I think that that also brings to mind just like what what general tools you use as an organization. I know. You guys have built a lot of technology internally. You've acquired companies. I'm sure you've used a lot of off-the-shelf products as well. Like, what is what does your team use to, to get its job done? Yeah, so um, we use a, a fair amount of tools. Um, you know, the from a product perspective, um, we a lot of our analytics pipeline um, has been built. Uh, kind of. Uh, you know the first kind of technologies we started using is we stood up you know a Hadoop cluster internally. You know that's running on our colo. You know and and kind of the first you know digging we did into into the data was really on that cluster. You know and um, you know things like benchmarking, um, model training. Uh, a lot of the data collection we we do is is built on Clojure, uh, all running on the JVM. Um, Biom actually has kind of brought a lot of Scala expertise in-house, which has been great. Um, and kind of, you know, the the Scala closure wars have begun internally. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think I think that's that's all good. Um, the our our data products team, uh, you know, uses um, uh, kind of a, a whole Python stack for a lot of the modeling um, and machine learning that we we do. So libraries like pandas, scikit-learn, numpy. Um, are all kind of tools that, that that team uses every day. Um, and then, you know, the, the data engineering team that supports them and building the application, you know, is, is using kind of Ruby on Rails to handle everything like authentication and the APIs that kind of serve up the results to those models to different Zendesk features. Um, being built in-house, you know, I think we're, we're in the process of, of Thinking about how to use a lot more managed services, so you know, the team in uh, San Francisco is um, looking at a lot of kind of the new uh, services that Google has stood up. Um, so we're we're experimenting with things like uh, Google PubSub, uh, Dataflow for stream processing, um, BigQuery to kind of provide you know analytics warehouses to our customers, um, and that's super exciting. You know, I think that Google has has really kind of pushed the envelope on a lot of those managed services and. You know, when we were starting the team, a lot of those things weren't weren't available or, or weren't as mature as they are today. So, you know, I think thinking about how we can improve velocity within the team by by using things like that um, is super exciting. Uh, what do you? Then, use, oh, sorry, I was curious. What do you use um, for that right now? Like things like uh, BigQuery. Is there a different warehouse that you're using today? Yeah. So we've actually developed a lot of um, like our our product data warehouse just runs internally on MySQL. Okay. Um, and so, so I think we're, you know, working within our colos. You know, it's it's uh, we've used a lot of the same technologies that, um, you know, are really the foundational technologies for Zendesk. Um, you know, Ruby on Rails, uh, MySQL, um, and as we've kind of matured as a as a data organization, 
we've really you know started to branch out um, and think about you know the, the best tooling for the types of problems that we're working on. Um, so that's been a kind of a uh, an interesting progression uh, as you know the the tools and infrastructure that we want to use as a team diverges from um, maybe the traditional uh, infrastructure and technologies that we've used at Zendesk. Yeah, and, and how you talked about the the closure and Scala Wars. Uh, how how important is is it for you that or and the Zendesk team in general that people are using a consistent set of tools, or is it is it okay if you just decide that for my particular job I'm going to use Tool X, even though the company in general uses Tool Y, and they might be similar languages or similar frameworks? Yeah, um, so it's I think that we we're kind of working through that. We we're almost every team at Zendesk is given an incredible incredible amount of autonomy to make decisions on uh, the, the tools and technology they use um, across the company. But obviously when you, you, know, you get to a scale where you're running 40 teams across you know, many, many time zones, um, you know, there, there starts to be a time when you know, syncing up on some of those things and, and figuring out the, the right technology choice for multiple teams becomes more and more important. Um, so we've actually developed a bit of just an internal process, um, you know, a way for a lot of our dev leads to get involved in kind of these big technology choices we're making. Um, so we have an internal Zendesk help center uh, where uh, a, a team can propose um, kind of a new piece of technology or a new process for, for doing something. Uh, we leave kind of a topic open for discussion for a few weeks. Um, and you know everyone around the world can get involved in that conversation about you know the trade-offs between what's being proposed, uh, and then we actually go through a tech review um, where uh, you know we all get on a call, um, we record it, um, and we kind of we talk through a lot of these these technology choices um, and you know attempt to come to some consensus on on the best way forward um, for things like um, you know what technology we're going to use for. Uh, event stream processing, or um, uh, you know, the best uh, kind of scheduling mechanism um, that we can use for for scheduling jobs, or something like that. Got it. That that's interesting. And speaking of event stream processing, that's one of the things I'm I'm super curious about. How how do you guys do that today? Yeah. So um, the I think that we're you know just really in the infancy of of starting to think about how we move to you know a full stream processing architecture. Um, you know, I'll give a little plug for uh, an actual library that we've open sourced called uh, Maxwell, um, and we we're doing some really really interesting stuff um, to kind of use uh, the combination of this Maxwell open source library and some new Google technologies to handle stream processing. So. Um, Maxwell is a library that uh, it effect- effectively um, listens to a MySQL binary log, uh, converts that whole binary log into uh, JSON format, uh, and then writes that log into Kafka. Hmm. Um, once that log is kind of streaming into Kafka, you can imagine that you know, we have the ability to listen to um, you know, everything that's, that's happening within kind of our core application databases at a very granular level. Um, and then, you know, from Kafka, we can stream that into PubSub. You know, this is where we're we're really evaluating things like Dataflow to do uh, stream processing um, for 
kind of that binary log that's coming through and then rolling that up into kind of interesting aggregates and doing metric calculations off of that stream processing. Um, and then looking at things like BigQuery as, as the back-end technology to, to power the actual analytics for our customers. Um, so I think it's it's kind of a, uh, you know, I think that as a company we've really kind of gone all in on, you know, thinking about this evented model, thinking about um, how we collect that data at a really granular level and then and then use that for different analytic applications. Interesting. And so Maxwell, is that just, uh, can people find that on GitHub and is spelled normally like the, the name M-A-X, what is it, W-E-L-L? Yep, that's oh. correct. So you, you can find that on on GitHub and that's open source now. So um, pretty cool library. Yeah, that does sound very cool. Uh, is um, So that that's how you, I guess you process events from databases. Do you also have instrumentation on the, the front end of your application where you're sending events and it that might be to Google Analytics or some other third-party tool or to your own in-house data pipeline? Yeah, so so we have a few ways that we collect um, events from the front end. Um, you know, we have, you know, I think that's a diverged more than converged all in one tool, but you know, we use uh, everything from Google Analytics to Mixpanel uh, to Heap, um, and then we also um, we actually do quite a bit of analytics just off of the the nginx logs uh, hmm. that are being collected. Um, you know, we can do things like pixel tracking and um, a lot of kind of an- analytics around our API usage um, using uh, using those nginx logs. So um, I think there's there's a variety of tooling um, that that serves kind of different use cases at Zendesk um, for that type of analytics. Hmm. And and do all those do those different tools get eventually piped into Kafka and follow a similar path to that MySQL application data, or are they mostly self-contained in the tools which which collect the data? Um, so some of them do. Certain data sets do, I guess. Um, like the uh, in you know all of that data that we're collecting on the front end for the most part is not used as kind of you know data that would go into. Uh, into our products, but is, is used more for kind of internal analytics and, and understanding user behavior and um, how people kind of interact with you know Zendesk products. Um, you know there there are a couple front end tracking applications that we we have you know specifically for product usage. Um, our help center product, for example, um, you know instead of doing instrumentation on the back end, you know a lot of the help center articles are. Are cached on the front end, so so we can't rely on you know, reliably you know, wait for some uh, database call to track usage. Um, and so in those applications, we you know, we're using um, kind of front end tracking into Kafka uh, for analytics. Um, but the majority of kind of production workloads that we're collecting um, are are captured on the back end. Got it. Got it. And then, so you've got the the event collection data on the front end. You've got the MySQL application data through Maxwell. Uh, what about data that um, is generated from services that you are a buyer of? Like for, I imagine, you know, I don't know if you send your own emails or you're uh, advertising or you use CRM like Salesforce. Like how um, is that in the scope of your team's responsibility? Um, a little bit less so. You know, the, uh, the data team, you know, from a focuses mainly on data that's coming from our products um, and is kind of the interface to um, other tools uh, that where people may want to um, 
kind of combine that with with marketing data or sales data or things like that. Um, and so, so we our our purview kind of ends at, at that interface between you know a marketing tool and product or a sales tool and, and product. Yeah. Okay. And is there a different team that is analyzing that data, or is that, or, or yeah, full stop? Yeah. Um, so we, uh, I guess there's there's a few teams um, that actually that you really start to get into that data. We actually have a pretty interesting way that we're set up internally to support. Um, what we call like our our velocity or self service business. So, you know, a, a large part of the, the Zenda space is kind of uh, small businesses that um, you know that the way that they they buy software is you know through a web trial buy experience. Um, you know, it's uh, very high velocity um, and and fairly low touch from a sales perspective. Um, but that the team that we have a team that's kind of dedicated to. Um, thinking about that part of our business and and keeping um, those customers really happy, um, and so you know they're they're a consumer of a lot of the the product analytics data that that we provide, and they've actually built you know some really amazing um, tooling that you know combines you know both our uh, our kind of product telemetry with data that they're collecting uh, via Heap, um, and using that to do things like um, kind of lead scoring, um, uh, you know, starting to dig into how we use, you know, uh, product usage data to do churn prediction, um, and really, you know, putting, putting the infrastructure around that part of our business to, to, you know, use data to, to automate how it's in a really scalable way. Um, so super interesting space that, that I think that, you know, was really kind of foundational in how Zendesk grew, but, you know they're really pushing the envelope on um, how we continue to to progress analytics to enable that part of our business. Got it. Very cool. And, and that actually brings up something that I'm I'm really interested to to understand more about is just like the different use cases and like the the analyses you've done and the the problems you've solved or wins you've gotten. Uh, I know that sometimes you need to employ some you know really hardcore math or um, really powerful models in order to get the job done and sometimes it's probably like an 80 20 situation where you can do uh, just a little bit of work and get a lot of the value uh, uh, can you think of an example of something you or your team did that where you got a huge amount of that value without having to to pull any super advanced levers yeah so so i think you know, probably the the biggest bang for our buck um, in terms of, of analytics has been you know the way that we've thought about doing benchmarking. Uh, when it comes down to it, um, benchmarking is is pretty uh, pretty simple. You know, you're you're doing aggregations of of data, you know, uh, data by you know a, a simple survey that we we give to our customers. So, you know, for example, we do. Uh, benchmarking of customer satisfaction and different operational metrics by uh, things like industry, um, and at its core, that isn't you know anything that's particularly dif- difficult to do, um, and uh, but it but it provides like this just amazing insight for a small business into how they're performing against their peers. Uh, you know, I think that that's that's something where. That you know that type of analysis has traditionally been limited to you know a large co- uh, company that had enough money to employ you know a, a consultancy that could go do a benchmarking study across a bunch of different companies, um, but the ability to just 
you know, do those aggregations, provide that insight into how people compare against their peers um, is, is super simple, but really, really insightful from an analytics perspective. Um, and that's probably the, the biggest bang for our buck that we've got. That makes sense. And I know we do some benchmarking too. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not trivial to set up those systems, but the hard part is getting enough customers where you can get reasonable data. Uh, and once yeah. you've done that, you can, you know, the just bring all the data together in one spot and, and making it understandable. That's less less challenging. Um, yeah. And when you, I, I assume that you must do, well, like there's no like data specific to one company, I'm sure that goes out in the benchmarks, but how, how big of a sample do you find you need uh, in a specific industry or operational type uh, in order to have a benchmark that is, Meaningful and you know people feel comfortable with the numbers involved. Yeah, so we uh, we won't show any segmentation that goes down below. Uh, I believe it's still ten customers. Um, you know, so so you know you can start digging into the uh, the kind of the different edges of you know if you're looking at every retail customer that's one to nine employees that you know is B to C. Um, you can get down to some pretty granular. Uh, data within that data set, um, but we won't. You know, we we make sure that there's at least ten customers in in each of those segments, and um, that's kind of making up that benchmark. That said, you know, I think that you know, ideally, you actually have you know a much uh, larger sample than that. Um, you know, I think you know, ideally, we're targeting you know something like five hundred to a thousand customers um, when we're doing some of those benchmarks to really give you kind of a good good insight into you know not only the the kind of median, the benchmark within that group, but uh, we provide some, like you mentioned before, some additional stats to show you like what your actual um, percentile is uh, within that group as well. So, you know, if once you get up to numbers like that, you can provide really uh, kind of meaningful things like you know you're in the top tenth percentile um, of of this certain metrics so like customer satisfaction. Um, and we can actually you know, show you how you're changing within that segment over time. So, you know, if your if your metrics stay exactly the same, and you know the the industry average starts going down, then um, we can actually show you how you're changing within that group as well. Uh, and, and in order to do something like that, you know, you really need more like you know 500 plus uh, different companies in a segment to to kind of give that rich view of of where someone sits. How many total customers does Zendesk have now? So we are sixty thousand or oh, wow. more. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of uh, five hundred uh, company slices you could make. Yep, that's, uh, that's <laughs> a lot of different ways to slice sixty thousand customers yeah. into into different groups. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense in terms of you know benchmarking. It's hard to get all those customers, but once you've got them, it's uh, you don't need any higher math in order to start getting value out of it. What about the flip side of that question, where uh, you or your team needed to employ some advanced models or just use some some higher power tools or, or just invest a lot more work in order to, to get value out of a project or analysis? Yeah, um, so so we're really still in the infancy of thinking about how we how we use some of these advanced machine learning techniques to build products for our customers, but. You know, one one great example of you know uh, a feature that we were able to to give to our customers that you know really was a, a combination of 
you know, multiple uh, investments in infrastructure, and then also, you know, progressively thinking about how we um, model and use the data that we that we have to to provide a future to customers is um, something we just launched recently, which is called satisfaction prediction. Um, so it's a feature that um, a uh, one of our enterprise customers can turn on, uh, and effectively, um, it scores every. A new ticket that comes into your Zendesk um, when it's created or each time it's updated and it looks at a huge variety of um, different features of that conversation how long a ticket's been open um, the different um, phrases that are used either in the description of the ticket or in the subsequent comments between an agent uh, and an end user uh, and and it takes all of that data and looks at the historical data within that Zendesk um, you know all the all the previous ratings that have been given from customers, and gives that ticket a score um, from zero to hundred on uh, its its probability of of uh, getting a good or bad rating, um, and that feature you know can be used uh, to help a customer you know escalate tickets that are at high risk of getting a bad rating. Um, you know we have some customers that are you know really using it to to help uh, aid their triage teams, kind of focus in the right areas and and. Make sure that you know customers that are at high risk are routed to the right place, um, you know, routed to a, a, a service manager or a support manager that can kind of help get their issue resolved. Um, and it seems like a it's it, it's so funny like all of these machine learning features are uh, boil down to something really simple in the end, which I think is is kind of the beauty. It's you know it's it's a feature that's taking you know hundreds of signals and boiling it down into this single number that you can use to drive. Uh, prioritization or workflow within your Zendesk, um, but that was really a culmination of um, you know probably a couple years of infrastructure um, uh, investments to you know to do kind of batch training at scale um, of those types of models, um, infrastructure to kind of host all those models in production and, and provide those uh, predictions in real time, uh, and then of course like all the application plumbing and um, Pieces of UI and UX that go around, you know, making that you know really uh, elegant and easy to use feature, um, uh, and then and then of course you know just the hours and hours of modeling that you know went into you know determining what the signals that we include uh, in that model are. Um, so that was really you know a culmination of you know traditional engineering, you know huge infrastructure investments, and then a lot of data science to to make that feature kind of come to market, but. Um, you know, obviously, something that's super valuable to customers um, in kind of helping their their customers receive the best support experience. Yeah, that's extremely cool and something that you know you can really, you know, someone else starting a customer support relationship management company, it's it's going to be very hard for them to duplicate that because you need to make that huge investment and have, I'm sure, the huge data set to train the models. Um, I'm I'm curious how how generalizable is that. Like, do is it specific to a particular customer, like that prediction? Or if I signed up for that feature and had my first support ticket tomorrow, could I get a reasonable score on that? So, so actually, every model that we build is specific to a customer. Um, so, uh, we we tried to build our first pass at this was trying to build one generalized model that could predict uh, satisfaction for any customer, and it just turned out that. Um, you know, every customer runs their business in a very different way um, and has very different signals that um, are important to their customers 
uh, in terms of you know, whether an interaction is going um, good or going poorly. And so um, we actually we train uh, a specific model for every customer on their historical satisfaction survey data, um, and that means that you know we do need you know this training set. Um, so you need to have been using our our customer satisfaction uh, feature for. Um, you know, a couple months. You need uh, a few hundred ratings, I think, at this point to to before we can build a model and actually get you up and running. Um, and so that's that's how it works today. But we're also you know doing a bunch of research into you know how do we how do we get someone a cold start um, with that feature as well. So you know the first day you start using it, um, you know you can get pretty good predictions and um, and then you know that that model will just improve over time as you get more and more feedback from customers about how interactions are going. Yeah, that, that would be extremely cool. Uh, and I'm, am I wrong to assume that Zendesk uses that feature internally on, on your Zendesk? You would not be wrong to assume that. We, uh, we use that feature internally, and so our, our agents can, uh, can you know, understand kind of how a, uh, an interaction is going um, you know, and see that within, within the ticket through that score. Um, yeah, that said, you know, I, I, Zendesk isn't the, the perfect candidate for this type of feature either. Like the, you know, we, you know, we support sixty thousand customers. Um, you know, and we have a, a support team that's staffed and, and super attentive to to every one of those customers. Um, but the, you know, the our customers that really get the most value out of this are, you know, you could imagine, you know, B two C, social companies, retail companies, gaming companies where. You know they're, you know they're just trying to. Their support teams are relatively small compared to the size of their customer base, um, and and those are teams where, you know they're they're really kind of searching for those needles in a haystack um, to understand kind of where to put their um, their time and resources, um, and and those are the customers that I think have really gravitated towards that feature and, and get the most most value out of it. Got it, and, and I'm. Probably, this is probably the most important question of the whole interview, but uh, how do the misfire tickets get rated uh, by this system? <laughs> That's a good question. That was actually one of the first tests we ran oh, really? uh, on this, yeah, and and uh, very poorly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> got it. It's All right. Funny, I think it was the first the first time I got access to, to one of the models we had. I, I found the you know one of our misfire tickets and you know stuck stuck the data in there for it and. Um, yeah, misfire tickets. You know, usually someone's pretty upset about you know the sheep that got stolen or the, the dragon that they can't find in their account anymore, um, and and those those don't lead to to positive customer interactions. Well, I think that's the model working um, yeah. because yeah. <laughs> uh, very cool. I think the, okay. the super interesting one. Actually, just one more tidbit. Please. that I think that um, you know, I, I think that. We found really interesting, and I think customers uh, are still kind of coming to grips with is you know we because that data is actually trained on um, kind of your historical interactions in your Zendesk. I think everyone expects that um, you know you can you can put you know a bunch of profanities in there or say I hate you in a ticket, and that's going to um, that's going to you know drastically reduce the score. Um, of any given interaction, um, uh, and and I'm sure in some cases it does, but you know the majority of, of businesses don't have customers that 
say things like you know I hate you or scream profanities at you um, you know via via Zendesk tickets so yeah, I think that's a testament to our customer base but it also means that you know the, the model doesn't really pick up on on those things and you know it picks up on on more kind of subtle things about you know day-to-day interactions that are that are um, indicative of, of a of an interaction going south so uh, you know it's 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 a tough model to trick into into doing what you want it to do uh, which is kind of interesting that is interesting yeah I'm trying to think of if anyone would have like a profit motive to try to spam Zendesk tickets but I can't think of any reason why someone would want, want to do that yeah I I mean I think it I think it probably happens on accident more than anything <laughs> okay yeah got it um, one other thing I'm, I'm just really curious about, because I think you're, you're in a, a somewhat unique situation where your team has obviously done a lot of internal analysis and built a lot of tools, um, but you've also, you know, Zendesk has decided to acquire basically a, a BI company in BIME. Um, and I'd, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on, like, what was the, the, the reason, the strategy behind that and where you see that. Uh, you know how BIM and, and Zendesk as a result changing over the the course of the next uh, you know couple of years. Yeah, uh, definitely. So, so I think Ed, you know as as you probably know, but for some of the listeners, um, you know, I can kind of give the background. We we've had this amazing relationship with Good Data for the past five years, um, uh, where you know we started building um, on the Good Data platform back in 2010. Um, and as a partner, they've really enabled us to um, provide, you know, really great analytics um, to you know an, an often an often uh, underserved part of uh, a company, which is you know the customer support team um, that in many cases you know is is the last on IT's list to um, you know get data for and, and provide analytics to um, you know somewhere behind finance. Uh, marketing, sales, uh, success—you know—every other team kind of gets uh, gets their data house in order. It's seemingly before support gets it. Um, and and what we built on good data, you know, really allowed us to provide a tool to our customers that enabled them to look at their operational metrics, to look at um, things like customer satisfaction, you know, in a really deep and meaningful way uh, through their Zendesk, um, and that. That platform, you know, allowed us to kind of focus on our core product over the last five years, um, and and really moving that forward without having to to think about um, kind of building a data tool that's really easy to use and uh, for our customers. And you know, I think that you know, as you can probably tell, you know, data is, is becoming just a bigger and bigger piece of kind of the the Zendesk product family and thinking about how to provide you know world class. Uh, analytics and machine learning has just become really a core part of our strategy, um, and so you know when we, you know, as part of that, we started looking um, for a company that really kind of matched our our values, um, you know, our product philosophy uh, in in building you know, a product that's really easy to use and accessible for small teams and small businesses, um, and that and and bringing that in house uh, to a place where you know we felt like we could have. You know the the roadmap uh, control and control over the customer experience in a really meaningful way, um, and so you know when we um, when we met the BIM team, it was just it, you know it was just so clear that you know they 
they shared those same values, um, and it just became really clear that you know, you know, bringing them into the Zenness family and and you know, owning the the roadmap and how we build product for for customers, um, small businesses, small teams, um, and then big companies as well, um, became you know was was really important to us. So, um, you know, I think that you know as as that investment grew, you know, that's where you know we we really made that decision to to bring. That tooling in-house and um, think about how BIM could, you know, become part of the Zendus family, you know, and, and provide great analytics for other Zendus products, but also be a tool that, um, much in the same way that Zendesk uh, was a, a tool small businesses could use to get started um, on providing providing support. Um, you know, we think that BIM is that platform that can really uh, help small businesses, you know, dig into their data for the first time. You know, before you have a, a dedicated data team, before you, um, uh, you know, if you can't get on IT's kind of short list for the next uh, analytics project, um, you know, we really feel like BIM is that tool that can help people kind of get at their data and, and start making better data-informed decisions. That's really interesting. And, and do you see BIM becoming the the primary like visualization tool for your team in the future, or are there, there different tools that are better suited for that job? Um, so yeah, I think internally uh, the process has has already started. You know, I think that the you know we have lots of teams around Zendesk now that have have really jumped in headfirst to to start using BIM, um, you know, in all the way it's meant in all the ways that it's meant to be used, and in many of the ways that it's 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 probably not. Yeah. Um, and so you know, we have we have tons of kind of internal initiatives. Um, Going already to, to kind of use uh, use BIM and 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 the different data sets we have at Zendesk, um, which is it's it's pretty cool to see. You know, I think that um, you know, especially with our kind of distributed nature, um, you know, I was mentioning you know we have analysts and all these different teams. Um, you've just seen we've just seen kind of the power of you know a tool like BIM that anyone can pick up and and really start connecting the dots between. Um, all these different connectors that BIM has, you know, connecting to our product data warehouse, connecting to Salesforce, connecting to um, some of the, the other internal SaaS tools we use, um, and and kind of bringing that all together and, and really being super agile in the way that they, they do their analysis. Um, that's been a, a pretty cool transition to see internally. That's really cool. Uh, I know we're, we're coming up on time. Uh, are there any like projects or job postings or any you know cool products even you know if they're not necessarily from Zendesk that uh, you think uh, the audience ought to check out I know we talked about Maxwell already anything else in that universe yeah so definitely check out Maxwell um, you know I, I, I'll put a bit of a plug in here for um, we you know I mentioned kind of uh, uh, how we're thinking about you know uh, doing this this campaign around relationships are complicated. Uh, we have a Relate conference in SF, May 11th and 12th, um, which is you know uh, anyone's uh, free and open to register to. A lot of really interesting speakers um, at that conference, not just about customer service, but um, many interesting topics. But um, one of the talks there will be actually on kind of how we think about machine learning at Zendesk um, and kind of some of the progressions of machine learning uh, being used, you know, both to 
improve and and probably make worse some of our our personal and and business relationships so um, definitely uh, if you're interested come and check that out in san francisco in may great and what, what's the the best way to find out more about the relate conference is there like a, a website or just google for zendesk relate yep you can just google for zendesk relate i will i, I just plugged something i don't know the website for oh, uh, so. but if you just <laughs> no go sweat. to uh uh, relate.zendus.com uh, you, can, you can find out more about it got it awesome uh, and if people want to learn more about you and your team like what's what's your Twitter, Twitter handle where can people find you online yeah uh, you can follow me on Twitter at channel the tiger uh, all one word uh, I'm not a super active Twitter goer but um, you know if you if you want to follow my my uh, Adventures in the South of France and around the Biome office. I'm also on Snapchat at social.j. Um, and then if you want to follow the team's research, um, you can follow us on the Zendesk blog uh, or at zendeskbenchmark.com. Wait, and I've got to ask about that Twitter handle. You said it was Channel the Tiger? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that uh, sounds awesome, number one. Uh, number two, uh, what is there some backstory to that, or is that just you, something you chose? Uh, there's a little backstory. So my uh, my granddad's uh, nickname was Tiger, uh, and so he just always had, you know, the most amazing. Just like I don't know, every grandpa just has the most amazing quotes. Like they're the most quotable people in the world. And so um, my the original reason I got that Twitter handle was actually, um, you know, to to document many of the quotes that that my grandpa uh, would say. Um, and and since then it's it's become uh, less about about those quotes, but the the Twitter handle stuck, so uh, it's still there. That that is awesome. How far back in time do we have to go to in your your Twitter feed to to see some of those quotes? Oh man, you're gonna have to go way back. And and I think that unfortunately, you know, my my granddad had passed away by the time that I I started the Twitter Twitter handle. So I don't think I got that many in there, but um, maybe if. Maybe if you guys are lucky, I'll, I'll dig up a few and, and put them at the top of the feed so so everyone can see them. I, I would love that. Cool. Uh, cool. Jason, this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Thanks very much for spending some time with us. Yeah, of course. Thanks a lot, Jake. Thank you right. for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to Statistically Interesting. This podcast is produced by me and Ryan Williams at RJ Metrics HQ, which is right across the street from City Hall in sunny Philadelphia. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.